Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman. And this afternoon, we have with us Kevin Thompson from the law firm of Levin Ginsburg. Nice to have you, Kevin. Well, thanks, Jonathan. It's happy to be here. Oh, good. Excellent. Uh, Just to keep with the theme of the show, Latte with a Lawyer, what's your uh, morning beverage of choice to get started? I really like a uh, dark roast um, uh, with uh, just a little cream and a little Splenda to sort of uh, uh, spice it up a little bit, a uh, little little sweeter, but uh, th- th- that's what I, I, I prefer. Okay, super. Terrific. Excellent. So uh, tell us what, uh, what kind of law you practice. Um, sure. Yeah, I uh, practice uh, intellectual property. I do. Uh, I help a lot of small businesses protect their brands uh, around the world, as as well as here in the United States. Um, uh, so I, I've got uh, a network of lawyers I work with around the world um, to help in some of those foreign jurisdictions. Uh, but primarily, um, I help people with their uh, trademarks. Help protect uh, their logos, their catchphrases, their uh, slogans, things like that, um, around, uh, the United States and, uh, as well as, you know, copyright and a little bit of data privacy as well. Okay. Not patents, not patents. No, I, I generally tend to refer that out. Uh, I, uh, I have this hope one of these days we, we might, uh, you know, get big enough to, uh, to have our own patent attorney in house, but, uh, uh, we don't, uh, right now I'm, I, I'm the IP guy and I've got a small staff of people, but not a patent attorney. Okay, because I mean, obviously, that's a bigger undertaking. You have to pass the patent bar, et cetera, right? Right. Hindsight being twenty twenty, I probably could have done it years ago. Um, it was one of those things where if I'd uh, known in advance that that would have been a requirement, I could have uh, taken a couple extra computer science classes. Uh, I was always interested in computers and the intersection of law and technology, and uh, so I took some computer science classes and just not enough to minor in it. Um, and hindsight being 2020, if I would have, you know, I probably could have done the patent bar, but I'm just as happy not doing patents. Yeah. Uh, I generally tend to like to, like to, you know, pass those off when I recognize it's a patent question to, you know, find somebody who's more capable than I. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Interesting. Okay. Um, but, uh, and, and many of the patent attorneys I've talked to actually have PhDs, right, in, in their discipline, terminal degrees. Yeah, you're, you're generally supposed to have a, a degree of some sort. Um, uh, it's at the very least a minor uh, in the area that you're practicing in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So where, where does it end with trademark where you have to hand it off to the patent attorney? Um, for, for, for me, it's more when it, when it actually is a patentable thing, if it's an invention, if it's, uh, um, something that, uh, you know, just might be also, a, from a design patent as well. Um, design patents protect, uh, it's kind of similar to trade dress, um, mm. you know, where it's like, but it's a particularly, uh, creative design that's not necessarily functional, um, but uh, they're, um, they've got to be able to point to some aspect of the packaging that's, uh, you know, unique and creative um, that's, uh, that would qualify for, for the design. Um, there are some um, uh, creative examples, not one of my clients, but uh, things like uh, uh, some bottles of liquor 
and things like that where they've um like in the shape of a skull and um you know so they they've they've gotten uh design patents on those i see um, okay interesting. It'd be an example of that yeah so mm -hmm. what, what give, give me examples of the, the types of companies you work with if there's any way to generate sure yeah, sure. I, I work with a small to medium to some large businesses. I've got a, um, a sort of a family held uh, food company that's their foods on grocery stores all around the uh, the country, as well as some international um, um, as well as some uh, small to medium uh, companies. I've got a company that does um, software that like um, uh, your car, if it's it's totaled or in a collision, things like that. And it goes to the body shop. Uh, the body shop uses my client software, generally speaking, uh, like likely uses my client software to, you know, help price it out and um, uh, value the uh, the repair and so forth. Are you using AI? Right? I actually know someone who's in the business and they use an AI model for that. I believe they do. Um, that's, that's part of it. Uh, uh, not all of their products use that, but some of them do. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now I know that's an evolving space. Mm -hmm. AI, is, AI is being used everywhere too, right? To right. create more efficiencies and eliminate the human sure. labor. Um, okay, good. And, and you said you have an international practice too, right? Right. I, um, I've i got a network of lawyers I work with around the world to help protect uh, trademarks throughout the world. Uh, I got my start in that uh, about 20 plus years ago. Uh, used to represent a uh, a uh, children's entertainment company that had uh, all sorts of um, trademarks throughout the world. And uh, so sort of naturally, you know, that uh, I learned that practice and uh, that's, that's uh, was great. And then of course the company, all that work went in house when they got bought up by Mattel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but there's still, there's a lot of, uh, of, um, of that. Um, I've got a lot of clients where they've got, you know, that they have a need because they're doing business in Europe, they're doing business um, in the UK. So, you know, with Brexit, you know, there's the difference between EU and U UK registrations now. And, um, you know, there's, um, uh, you know, plenty of countries that were never part of the EU and like to do business in Norway um, or in Switzerland, for example, yeah. you know, and uh, it's helpful to have their barks protected there as well. So give me, just give me like a real practical example of the um, you know, like what, what kind of work you would do. Like, give me an example of a, of a case that you would work on. Um, sure. Um, uh, like an example would be like, we've got a, a company that's coming to us because they're um, uh, it's trying to brand a new uh, service that they're doing, or they're just starting up. Um, and so we'll look at them and try to figure out, you know, what they need to do to protect uh, certain basic things like their company logo or uh, an important tagline. And then, you know, we would try to figure out what jurisdictions that uh, that would be of use for. Sometimes some people are just in the U.S. Other people, they might do business in Mexico and Canada. Yeah, and that's still international. Sure. Um, you know, so, um, you know, a U.S. registration doesn't protect you there. Um, you know, you've just sort of got need to if you want to, uh, you know, be able to uh, protect your brands. Um, and and so. Um, what we'll do is look at it from that standpoint. And then, you know, from there, we generally tend to prioritize um, if there's a lot of countries that somebody's working in. Uh, what we'll do is try to 
come up with a plan or a budget, you know, so we'll do this much this year, we'll do this much next year, depending on what your your plans are. Some Sometimes you've got no choice, but, uh, you know, sort of do them all at once if it's, you know, really, truly important and you yeah. know, necessary. But, you know, we, we try to come up with plans and work within budgets and things like that. Um, what are the complexities with it? I'm trying to understand, like, you know, a trademark, I mean, or a logo. I mean, it seems like you could get through that fairly quickly. What are the complexities with that? Well, some of the complexities are is that you would um, need to make sure that what you're trying to get protected is uh, protectable here in the U.S. from the point of view of you're, you're not infringing somebody else's prior registration or even um, prior common law rights. Uh, the U.S., we have common law rights based on use in commerce in the areas you're doing business, sure. uh, as well as some some state state to state things as well. But from a federal standpoint, uh, you know, the, the the trademark office won't let you get a registration if there's something already out there. So you will look at that and we'll try to make sure what they're trying to protect is something that, you know, we can do that. But also every country has got their own registry. And so just because you've got trademark rights in the U.S., for example, doesn't necessarily mean you've got the rights to use it uh, in some other jurisdiction where they've already got a, an existing registration or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, right. So that's some of the complexities that can arise. Um, so certainly sometimes we run into cases where, um, you know, there's already an existing brand using something very similar. And so we'll try to work out like a coexistence or try to figure out some way to, you know, to work with and, you know, be able so the client doesn't have to like have a new brand just for one country or something. I see. I see. Okay. And how long do these things typically last? I mean, do they, do you clean these yeah. over a matter of weeks, months, years? Um, an application can take about a year, maybe year and a half, depending on the jurisdiction. Uh, some jurisdictions are really lightning fast. Um, you know, if you're trying to get something registered fast, there are some that, that you can, you can get your trademark registered in a matter of weeks. Um, those are some of the more smaller countries. Mm. Um, but for the most part, uh, it's, um, it's, it's a sort of a multi-year process, uh, depending on obviously where you are and so forth. But in the U S for example, um, you know, initial examination used to be within four to six months. These days it's more like seven to eight months, uh, for, you know, even get your application before an examiner. Uh, and then from there, it depends on whether your application, you know, what route you take towards registration. If it's in condition for registration, you can get it through another couple more months of publication for opposition and, you know, and then, you know, it gets scheduled for registration, but uh, it could take, you know, a little while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, can someone do this on their own or they need a lawyer to go through the process? I mean, I imagine there's a lot of research, right? Sort of researching to make sure if there's any overlap. Yeah, there are some people that, that do try to do it on their own. Um, and then sometimes then they, they come to us because they've run into uh, an office action or things like that. Mm. Um, you know, it's, they need to explain to the trademark office why they're entitled to a registration or, um, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, fill out the form exactly right. Uh, sometimes people think it's intuitive and it's not always intuitive as to what, you know, how to, how to apply. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh. It's generally speaking, it's 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 a good idea to you know hire a lawyer to to help you with the process. It's not an absolute requirement. Uh. Okay. Some people even 
you know, try to use something simple like a legal Zoom kind of a thing where, you know, they pay one flat rate and they get their application on file. Uh, but then, you know, they run into issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's when, you know, it's helpful to have had a lawyer, you know, help you in the drafting, you know, to avoid some of the, the common application errors. Got it. Mm-hmm. Are there any reasons to ever litigate? Do you, do you get involved with litigation? Right. Um, I do from time to time. Um, it just depends on uh, what we need. Um, uh, some of the cases we've handled in the past, um, you know, we've had uh, uh, cases where um, one of my prior firms, uh, we had a client that was opening a restaurant and another restaurant with a similar name in a different area, you know, sued them you know, to try to get them to stop opening the restaurant with the, with that name. Mm. I mean, it was close, but it wasn't that close. And so, you know, we got it through. Um, it's one of those things where we, I think we ended up losing at the trial level, but won an appeal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you actually had to try the case or was that a bench trial? You had to go. Um, that was a bench trial. Okay. Um, Ever have to do a jury? jury. No, any um, jury trials or no? Uh, not me personally, but I know, um, other people that, that have, Oh, okay. so, but a lot of the cases, um, you know, you generally, uh, just depends on, on whether or not you request one, um, in some of the cases that we've had, it's, it's helpful, uh, you know, since you've got, you know, a fine point of law that you're trying to, to rule on. And sometimes in that case, it's helpful to have it a bench trial because then the, the judge can help do uh figure that out but sometimes uh if you're on the plaintiff side so certainly um and you're trying to you know stop someone from opening a, a particular uh, uh venue and you're trying to get damages or something like that sometimes it's helpful to have a, a jury yeah i would uh, think so if you've gone mm-hmm. you've made a big investment of time in a, in a business and all of a sudden you find out that mm-hmm. someone's trying to block you you know i would i would think there would be a claim there potentially right for damage damages yeah uh, interesting i was curious if you ever got into the, moved in that direction so potentially you could right yeah i guess for me in my case it just depends on the on the case and and whether or not it makes sense for that particular client and their their claims yeah yeah okay interesting um so how did you get started i mean how did you get into this uh, type of law like bring me along <laughs> sort of that journey sure like- um uh i was always really interested in the intersection of computers and in the law And so, um, you know, for a while, I thought I would just, you know, focus on copyright um, and, uh, you know, help people protect uh, their software code, uh, things like that. So um, that would have been in in the late 90s. Uh, At one point, I worked for, um, I helped out with um, University of Wisconsin in their software sales department. I helped license software to particular, um, you know, University departments make sure that they were properly licensed on WordPerfect. That shows you how old that is. Oh, tech uh, transfer <laughs> kind of stuff. You mean like tech technology transfer stuff? No, no, just make sure that they were properly licensed. You know, like they needed, uh, you know, 30 copies of WordPerfect for their office. Oh, I see. You know, okay, sure. You know, so that's not even Word, that's WordPerfect. You know, right. that shows you how old that is. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, Right, exactly. So, you know, that got me interested in software licensing and and trying to make sure that was, you know, the case. And so uh, when I went to law school, I knew I wanted to do something with intellectual property and, you know, was luckily and lucky enough to get, uh, you know, uh, my first job, um, you know, in IP, you know. Were you a computer science major undergrad? 
No, I took a lot of computer science classes, but not enough to um, to really have a minor in it. Um, okay. uh, so one of those mentioned earlier, you were asking about the patents. That would have been a hindsight being 2020 kind of a thing. Uh, would have been easier, I think, to get my first job if I had the uh, the patent background, because there are some employers when I was first coming out of school that really wanted somebody that could do both. I see. Um, you know, but, you know, uh, I was lucky enough to work for a boutique that, uh, um, you know, didn't really do patents either. So um, it, uh, it was good. Um, so how did you, I mean, when did, when did you decide that you wanted to become a lawyer? Oh, my dad would tell you that uh, uh, when I first read a biography of Clarence Darrow oh. uh, back in the day, um, you know, with the Scopes Monkey Trial and so forth, uh, mm. uh, he just, I, I, it just kind of appealed to me, some somebody that took on a cause and, um, you know, was, was willing to go for the distance and argue and m make a point. Interesting. Okay. And, and so, I mean, you, you ended up in this um, sort of flavor of law. But this sounds like that's where you wanted to go because it was a blend of mm -hmm. technology and law. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And to this day, I'm sort of known as sort of among my friends as sort of the, the geeky trademark lawyer, you know. So um, I help a lot with our local bar association. I help put on CLEs on things like that. Like we have like an annual tech for the holidays thing. And I get to, you know, blather on about the latest phones of, you know, Android and iOS, you know, and all those sort of things and talk about, you know, what's new this year and, you know, what's a cool gadget, what's not. So. Oh, very nice. And uh, where, where are you from originally? I grew up outside of Madison, Wisconsin, a oh, small oh. town called McFarland and um, just ended up uh, coming down to Chicago for law school and ended up loving it. So I've been in Chicago for 20, 27, 28 years, almost. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, Chicago's a great city. I I lived there for almost three and a half years at one point. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great city. <laughs> In fact, yeah, the, the Bears have a pretty good football team, I think, this year. Um, they're doing about as well as uh the Packers, uh, which is the team I grew up rooting for. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I do have one son who's is more of a, a Bears fan and uh, we still feed him, but uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a more of a for a friendly rivalry in our house. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I have a friend who yeah. uh, actually went to law school at Madison mm -hmm. and is from Milwaukee, and he's a uh, avid uh, Packers fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I got a lot of ribbing. Uh, yeah, I own one share of the Packers, so it's one of those, uh, you know, things, uh, you know, where, you know, I, I, I love my loyalties, you know, show but you know I, I still want to see the bears do well it's it's, it's it, you know i just don't don't root for them when they uh they play the packers or anything yeah yeah i i, I understand that that <laughs> makes sense to me um very good um so for the type of work that you're doing what's the skill set that makes someone good at, at your type of law I think the uh, like an attention to detail, um, and a, an ability to organize and uh, to, um, you know, be um, able to, to to take a large number of you know small things and and collect them together. Um, I, I've seen people that uh, were rather scattershot, you know, when it comes to that, and you know they managed only because they had a. Uh, 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 
paralegal or a secretary that was more organized than them and mm. you know put put things in front of them you got to deal with this today this is due you know <laughs> <laughs> you know um and whereas other people i think uh the more successful ones i think are ones that uh they're more self-starters and able to be organized and personable um it's uh you know a lot of it is uh just being able to understand and relate to you know particular clients and and to sort of look at it from the point of view of you know i know this is what you want to protect but i'm not so sure it's you know going to work and figure out ways to explain it to people so you need to be able to have good um explanatory skills of it you know not everything somebody brings to you is something that you can do and sort of figuring out how to how to you know give them the good news as well as the bad got it got it got it Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say to you? Okay, okay. So, being organized, of course, is a skill. So, what, what what kind of software does the firm use to? I mean, everyone's leveraging technology. We're on Zoom, and right? COVID accelerated those kind of things. So, what kind of technology do you guys leverage in your business? Um, in addition to those, uh, will we leverage things like our docketing software? Um, we use a. Uh, uh, sort of a smart uh, docketing solution. Uh, the one I currently use, it's um, uh, called Alt Legal, and uh, it's a web-based solution. And what it does is it, uh, once you get things in the system, it manually, it's the software uh, has a back end where it checks things with the trademark office and, um, you know, it automatically dockets deadlines and things like that based okay. on, you know, changes in the um, uh you know, the actual filing record, you know, they're able to tell that you filed something and, you know, therefore this deadline is no longer active and, uh, but this just, just happened. And so now you have a six month deadline to respond. Oh, that helps keep people organized, right? That's how I was kind of getting it. Those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we, we leverage, um, you know, some AI type things into, into that, you know, like that's part of the, um, you know, the software that, you know, we use, I'm not sure how much it's AI versus just strict programming, mm. but, but it's, uh, it's, it's more of a, um, you know, where they're able to, um, you know, leverage that technology in ways that, you know, wasn't possible 10, 20 years ago. Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. How many lawyers in the firm? I believe we're at 15 currently. Okay. And, and, and it is a trademark IP boutique. Um, no, um, more of a general business law type thing. We've got people that do employment, people that do lit- general litigation, people oh, okay. that do uh, corporate law, all sorts of corporate transactional things. Uh, but I'm the IP guy. And uh, so, um, and, and then I've got a small staff of people that, uh, you know, help me out with things as needed, you know, some okay. legal and things like that. But okay. so for the most the, part, you're the sole IP lawyer. That's, that's, that's truly just IP. Yeah. But I've got mm. another person that does some licensing and then another person that does some IP litigation as needed. Okay. Very good. Mm-hmm. And, and that keeps you busy. Oh yes. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good, good, good stuff. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, is there any, I'm just curious, is there any one case that really stands out that you worked on that was memorable or interesting? Oh, uh, there's been plenty over the years. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, we had one once um, where um, we had a, a counterfeit case going on where somebody had uh, uh, put together um, 
a slot machine, you know, the pole arm thing and our clients trademarks were on the wheel. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so we ended up having to go to court and getting a, you know, temporary injunction and um, uh, an order for seizure. Uh, and so we did a raid on their warehouse. And, you know, <laughs> one of those slot machines is now, you know, in our client's uh, office. You know, it's sort of like their trophy from from the case was the infringing machine. <laughs> oh, nice. I just came back from Las Vegas. for uh -huh. a, a, It was a... Uh, it was a trade show for a trial lawyer. So I saw plenty of those slot machines. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to be have those licenses. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're quite modern now. They're not the same as they used to be. They're right. 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 Yeah. This was um, sort of in the uh, early 2000s. So it yeah. was, um, you know, wasn't really an electronic machine, but it was, uh, you know, it was still a, a spin wheel pull down the thing. The old one arm bandit. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so just to just to sort of, you know, wrap it up here. Um, what do you just parting words? What do you want people to know about your firm, about you and the best way to connect? Sure. Um, I think the, just uh, just in general, um, you know, our firm is, you know, we're happy to help uh, businesses in the Chicago and throughout the Midwest. Uh, we, we really like uh, helping, you know, from startup to, you know, establish businesses, help them grow, help them expand, help them deal with uh, what they need. Um, and uh, uh, I really, really like the process, the IP part of that, you know, where we, you know, help, uh, you know, protect their brands. There are a lot of days that doesn't really seem like work. It's just helping creative people do fun things. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, just generally speaking, uh, you know, some of the best ways to reach me is through our website, uh, liveinginsburg.com. And uh, what we do, um, you know, uh, people can reach out to us by email. And uh, there's also, you know, ways to schedule meetings, uh, you know, like an introductory call, you know, with, um, you know, online scheduling. Okay, excellent. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, excellent. Good. This has been, uh, been interesting. Um, spent some time with you, learn more about IP law. For everybody, again, this is uh, Kevin Thompson with law firm of Levin Ginsburg. And are you just in the Chicago land area? Yeah, we only have the one office, but um, you know, we sort of have um, clients from all over, especially with the IP practice. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this show is sponsored by Emotion Track. Emotion Track with a C. It's a, a legal tech platform that helps litigators prepare for mediation and trials with our AI-powered insights platform. So right. thank you again, Kevin. It was a pleasure spending time with you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jonathan. Much appreciated. You bet.